Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. We are in the middle of a series called O Come Let Us Adore Him, and it's a series on worship. And last week we had two amazing speakers who did a fantastic job, Twinkie and Naomi. And uh, if you weren't here, do yourself a favor and catch up with that online on our podcast. We're incredibly proud of them, Uh, not just the way they spoke, but who they are and what they carry. And so uh, today I'm going to continue to speak on worship. Now, I understand that for many Aussies, the idea of worship is a little foreign to them and maybe a little uncomfortable. The idea of giving somebody honor or reverence or deference is something that is a bit strange. In Australia, for those, I know we have many cultures here, but in Australia, our, probably our lead, the leader of Australia is our prime minister. And in Australia, with our prime minister, we prime ministers, we give them nicknames. We call them Albo and Scomo. And so, yes, we want them to deal with complicated international policy and uh, world relations. But in a way, we also want them to kind of be ready to service a sausage sandwich at the local Bunnings at the same time. The idea of uh, worship or honour even for an authority figure, is a little bit strange to us. And I think if we're honest, many Aussies kind of push against that. I know that's a feeling that I get. Now, for me, and I know we've got many people from many different cultures here, I grew up in Thailand. And in Thailand, when it comes to the highest uh, figure in the nation, the king, it is completely different. In Thailand, it's actually illegal to say anything bad about anything the king does. You, there are people that are currently in prison for extended period of, periods of time for saying things about the king. It's totally different. It's quite common for someone when they approach the king to approach on their hands and their knees. When they're in the presence of the king, they use a different language. And it's recorded that sometimes, I don't know if this is still current, but in the history of the monarchy, people wouldn't actually address the king directly. They would address the dust beneath his feet. These are true things. Now, the question is, why? Why would people hold someone in such high honor? Now, in the case of the Thai king, there is a belief and a historical belief that he is actually a god and descended from God. So it's kind of a a weird kind of mix. Uh, Thailand is a, a weird mix of Hinduism and animism and Buddhism, and that is part of the origin. When it comes to Christmas, I didn't know if you think about it this way, but Christmas is actually about the worship of Jesus. Now, I know that often many people in our society are not conscious of it or perhaps don't even believe that that is the case, but we would still say that it's a widespread social practice, that right now at this time of year, 
there are going to be people who don't call themselves followers of Jesus, but who are actually going to be worshipping Jesus in songs just like the ones we said in parks and in homes, and they're going to be acknowledging with their mouths and with their songs that Jesus is God. They're actually going to be worshipping Jesus as the Son of God. And so we've got this in the background, and every every Christmas, I believe there is always a question that hangs in the background, particularly for our culture and our society. The question is, who is Jesus? Because Christmas is about the worship of Jesus. And it's a question that many people have wrestled with, and many people just choose to ignore. They're like, I'm just, I'm not going to think about that aspect. But it's a question that is hanging in the air. Now, most people believe that Jesus was a historical figure. Most people believe that he was a great ethical and moral teacher. I remember a conversation I had uh, with my barber, one of the guys who cuts my hair. And we were talking about all things in his life, and he had a belief that when he dies, his energy is kind of reabsorbed into the universe. And then he was talking about all these kind of beliefs. And then I said to him, look, I know you, and you, are, you, you help others, and you are kind to others. And I asked him, where does that come from? And he kind of looked at me sheepishly, and he said, that comes from Jesus. That comes from the idea that we should do to others as we would want to be done to ourselves. That comes from that idea. And most people hold Jesus as, okay, he is someone who taught humanity how to love one another. But when we read the teachings of Jesus, and when we read the the words that he spoke that are recorded in the Gospels, he actually didn't leave us an option just to see him as a historical figure or an ethical teacher, because Jesus made these wild claims about himself. Here's what he said. I have existed eternally. I have the power to forgive sins. Now, that in itself is amazing from both angles, right? And one of the, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the idea that Jesus has the power to forgive sins when he was not in the way that you might think about it, involved or he was not hurt or damaged in the wrongdoing. So just say that Naomi and I have an argument and we both lose our temper, we both start shouting at each other, we both get angry and we say some things that we regret. Jesus comes and says, I have the power to forgive both of you. And you might say, what? How is that possible? You weren't involved. But the fact that he is the one who has sinned against and also the one who has power to forgive sins is one of the most amazing things in the gospel. Here's another thing he said, I'm returning to judge the world. I'm returning when this world, the time for this world comes to an end. So Jesus, he didn't make it possible for us to just say, okay, Jesus, you taught us some nice things. And you were a person who existed in history about 2,000 years ago. You had a legacy. We have all these hospitals and charities and social work that's from your teachings of love. He didn't make that possible. 
the only options that we have is one, that he was a counterfeit, that he was lying when he said those things. He was lying that he said he was the eternally existing God. He was lying when he said, only I have the power to forgive sins. He was lying when he said, I'm coming back to judge the world. That's one option. He was a counterfeit. The other option for him being a counterfeit is that other people made up things about him. And some people say, oh, well, Jesus, Jesus actually didn't intend to make all these claims. Other people kind of just shaped him and, and positioned him. That's one of the options. Is he a counterfeit? The other option was that he was crazy. He was just completely unhinged to say all those things about him. Himself. He was a megalomaniac. He was someone who desired power and he just sought to draw attention to himself but was crazy. These are the options available when it comes to Jesus that he was a counterfeit, that he was crazy. And it's not an option for us at Christmas time for us to just say, oh, he's a, he was a great historical teacher or an ethical or moral teacher. There is a third option. And the one that we declare is that Jesus was not counterfeit. He was not crazy, but he was in fact Christ the King. And the answer to the question, who is Jesus, is actually not an intellectual question, although that is part of it. It's actually not a historical question, although he did historically exist. The answer to the question, who is Jesus, is actually a spiritual revelation. It's a spiritual revelation. Yes, we know intellectually. Yes, we know historically. But when it comes to a revelation of Jesus, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit actually allows us to have a spiritual awakening. And the Bible talks about the revelation of Jesus being an unveiling or an opening of spiritual eyes and spiritual blindness. And this is why we worship, because worship centers around the revelation of Jesus. In our series in worship, in our, the time where we approach even culturally, even though we may not be aware of it as a society, we understand that worship centers around the revelation of Jesus. We can also say that the revelation of Jesus is the beginning of all worship. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture as we understand that the revelation of Jesus is the beginning of worship. I'm going to share a strange story, probably quite well known to all of us here, but no doubt a little strange. And it's a story about a group of men from the East who have traveled a long way. Now, we don't know from the Bible how long they've traveled or actually what kind of countries, nations, regions they've traveled for, traveled from. Not in the Bible, but as part of uh, the historical record, there is some uh, evidence from history that they actually came from India, Arabia, and Persia. 
So all of these are nations to the east, and there is a group of people, a group of men who travel from the east from a long way away, and they're following some kind of star. Don't you think this is strange? It's a very unusual story. So a group of people who would not call themselves Jews, okay? They would, there was no such thing as a Christian then. Okay? They, Jesus had not um, died and, and rose again. So they, they're just a group of men from the east. We don't know where from, travel a long way away, and they're following a star. Now, we don't know if this is some kind of uh, natural astronomical explanation. It could have been a conjunction of the planets, a comet, or a supernova. We don't know that. It also just could have been a miraculous event. All it says is they're following this star. And why are they following? It actually says the purpose and the reason, we'll read this in the scripture, the purpose is they have come to worship. Don't you find that's really, really unusual? A group of men from the east travel a long way. They're following a star and they've come to worship a baby. Really, really unusual story. It's very strange. But in fact, in this story, we actually see a pattern for worship that I believe each and every one of us can step into the story and can begin to imitate as we journey towards Jesus. And this pattern is based on movement. And worship is movement based on the revelation of Jesus. Now, I want to say to you that it is impossible, both practically and also from what we understand of the biblical record, for you to worship without movement. Because by very nature, the revelation of Jesus, the first thing that happens is your heart is going to be moved. What we're going to see is these people actually interrupted their lives and took risks and made sacrifices to journey towards Jesus. There is movement. We're going to see in this story that when their hearts were moved, their emotions were moved, their mouths were moved, their bodies were moved. And so it's really, really important for us who want to grow as Jesus followers for us to say, okay, maybe I've got some kind of historical ways of coming to church, or maybe I've got some cultural ways of coming to church. But in fact, what about I allow the revelation of Jesus to move my heart and to move my body, and I do, and I follow the biblical pattern rather than my cultural pattern or my cultural preference. And I want to say that when we do this, when we actually move in the way that Jesus wants us to, as he reveals himself to us, then there is a powerful transformation that takes place both in us, but in the world. And this is the power of worship. And so there are two movements in this scripture we're about to read from Matthew chapter 2. The first is seeking Jesus and the second is surrendering to Jesus. These are the two movements of worship. And this will help you understand 
a lifestyle of worship. It'll also help you understand why we do what we do on a Sunday. Do you know that on a Sunday, the time where we're singing and worshiping is incredibly powerful? Do you know why? It is the time in our service where we are the most unified. We are singing the same thing at the same time for the same reason to glorify Jesus. Do you know why we choose the songs that we choose on a Sunday morning? To lift up Jesus. Explicit purpose. Here's what we're going to We want to declare Jesus. We want to acknowledge him as who he is. And that is why we do what we do. So let's jump into this. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, the first movement of worship is moving towards Jesus. It's seeking Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things that strike me as I read this passage, and one of it is that they had a revelation of Jesus, but it wasn't a clear revelation of Jesus. They had an understanding of who Jesus was, but it was a distant one. And I want to encourage each and every one of you that we may be at a place in our lives where we have like a sense of who Jesus is, or we, we know that Jesus is real and we, he has revealed himself to us in part. But the revelation that we currently have is a distant revelation is a fuzzy revelation, is a revelation that actually can't be fulfilled in the immediate time frame. Do you understand what this passage is saying? They had a revelation of Jesus and they started seeking Jesus. And I I want you to understand that this is one of the most powerful concepts that you can understand about worship, is that the first movement of worship is seeking Jesus. Do you know why? The Bible says this. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We could say, we could swap in pleasing God with worshipping. Without faith, it is impossible to worship God. Why? Let's continue. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if I want to uh, have this revelation of Jesus be fulfilled in my life, I need to start walking towards Jesus, even though as I start walking, I can't always encounter Jesus in that first step or the second step. And as these group of men begin to travel for thousands and thousands probably of kilometers over days and days, what were they doing? They were seeking Jesus. And seeking Jesus is the first movement of worship. What does this look like practically? It looks like practically when we come to God in our homes and when we open our Bibles and when when we get in a posture and create a space and a time for prayer, 
we say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to encounter your presence. As I open the word, God, I want you to reveal yourself in your word. It's a posture of seeking and it's a movement of seeking. I think it is one of the most encouraging things to think about for us to do. Here is the promise of God, Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I remember playing hide and seek with my kids when they were very little. You know that type of hide and seek? I don't know if you've played this as a parent or maybe as an uncle or auntie where you are, you know, the most easy person in the world to find. And you've got this toddler and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and hide. And then you go and hide behind like something like this. And you close your eyes. Or you go and hide and you hide behind the couch, but you talk and you say, I'm over here. Come and find me. And then when they find you, you're like, oh, you found me. You're so good. There's such a, a great sense of wonder and fun. Do you know that's how God wants to be found? He wants us to seek him. Why does he want us to seek him? Well, I think he's a, he's a relational God. Well, I know he's a relational God. Tell me about a relationship that you have that you don't put any effort in. I bet it's not thriving. The idea that you want to walk towards someone, to spend time with them, to be with them in their presence. Seeking Jesus is the first movement of worship. Let's go on, uh, verse number three. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, there's a, if you understand anything about history, if King Herod is deeply concerned, I think it is natural that everyone else is concerned because he was a sociopath. He killed many, many people. He killed many, many members of his own family. He even had some of his own kids drowned in his own pool. Such was his paranoia when it came to people potentially taking his throne and his power. And so he was concerned. About the same time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Oh, no. Jumped. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learnt from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, worship is movement based on the revelation of Jesus. And the second movement is surrendering to Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, 
it will cause movement in every area of your life. This is true. And it only makes sense. This is why it will, it will only make sense. It will only make sense when we acknowledge that Jesus is God. Some of us, in terms of our idea, in terms of our understanding, in terms of our mindset around Jesus, is Jesus in our minds often is more like Albo and Scomo, our mate, maybe a get-out-of-jail-free card, maybe someone who's there when we need him. And there is something that happens when Jesus is actually revealed as the risen Son of God, when he is revealed in his glory. Now, some of you say, well, I've never experienced that view, that picture of Jesus. And I would say, go back to that first movement, seeking Jesus. Jesus, would you show me your glory? Jesus, would you reveal to me your presence? And what do you do? You wait and you walk. And as the Bible says, you keep knocking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking and you keep seeking. And when you do, there is a promise from God that you will be fulfilled in your desire to encounter God. And when you encounter Jesus, it will cause movement in every area of your life. When you acknowledge that he is not just another dude, he is not just another ethical teacher, but he is actually, there is a gap between me and him. And that gap is the glory of God. And I pray that even this week, as some of you take this to heart, that as you put aside time to seek God, that he would show you his glory in a new dimension. And this is going to be a reality for us. So let's look about what happens when they encounter Jesus and they begin to be moved to surrender. It says, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. What happened? Their emotions were moved. Worship is movement. The most normal and natural thing in the biblical record is when we encounter Jesus is that our hearts are filled with joy. Their emotions were moved. Then they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. What happened when they encountered Jesus? Their bodies were moved. They begin to bow down. I want to encourage you that in our local church here, in our local expression, the biblical pattern of worship that our team lead us so well in is actually in response to a revelation of Jesus, the acknowledgement of Jesus that says, Jesus, my hand's in the, the, the sky. I am surrendering to you. Sometimes you'll kneel as a physical act of bowing and surrendering and acknowledging Jesus as he is. We will declare our hearts will be moved. Our emotions will be moved, sometimes joy, sometimes tears, as Jesus begins to move our heart as he reveals himself to us. Then 
They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they encountered Jesus, every area of their life was touched. In this case, their financial resources, their emotions, their bodies, their physical location, their financial resources. In this story, did anyone coerce them? Did anyone give them a guilt trip? Did anyone make them travel thousands and thousands of kilometers? No, they didn't. What happened? There was a revelation of Jesus. A revelation of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Here's a question for you, and I hope that it is an enduring question. I hope for some of you, in a good way, it keeps you up at night. I hope for some of you, in a good way, it challenges in a really, really wonderful way some of the ways that, some of the decisions that you make, some of the things that are going on in your life. Who is Jesus? What is your view of Jesus? What is your revelation of Jesus? Do you know we can have a high view of Jesus? We know that Jesus is our friend. He is our friend. He is also the eternal living God. There are so many stories of people encountering Jesus in his humanity. When you encounter Jesus in his divinity, Read some of those stories. Bodies hit the floor. People cannot stand in the glory of God. What's your view? Is it a high view? Or is it a low view? Just kind of someone there in the background. Maybe, yeah, he says some good stuff. Yeah, he's my mate. You know, when I need him, when I'm in a bind. You know that mate that's always there for you? That's not Jesus. Jesus is always there for us. But he is there because he is the all-powerful, almighty, holy God. The great Christian writer and and preacher, A.W. Tozer, said this. He said, Worship is pure or base, as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, just as the most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. Who is Jesus? 
What is your view of Jesus? What's your revelation? And as I said, if our revelation of Jesus is only a fuzzy one, there's an invitation to seek him with a promise that we will find him. We're going to take uh, communion together. You'll see under your uh, seat, there's a little cup. And uh, communion is for people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. So please don't feel any obligation to take it today. There's two little compartments. The bread at the top and peel those away. Do you know the wise men? I don't know if you remember what they referred to Jesus as. They referred to him as the king of the Jews. The only other time that Jesus is referred in that way in the Gospel of Matthew is a sign that hung over his body, the king of the Jews. This is the Jesus that we believe in. And communion is a reminder. What is a reminder of? Of his sacrifice. It's also a reminder of his promises. It is a reminder that every good promise of God is made available through Jesus Christ. Every promise. Promises of healing. Promises of financial breakthrough. I know even in this church, there are people that need a financial breakthrough. There are promises of reconciliation. There are promises of healing. Every single promise is available through Jesus Christ. This is what we do. We lift our eyes to Jesus. We elevate our view. We elevate our revelation. This is the cry of our heart. God, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal yourself? And in a moment, we're going to take this together. And as we do, there's two specific groups of people that I really want to encourage today. There are people here that have said, look, I don't think I've encountered Jesus. I've got a sense, but I don't think like I've encountered Jesus in the way that like that person has or that person has. My encouragement is to keep seeking, is to keep seeking. And I I just want to say to you that there is always more to understand about the presence of God. There always is more to understand when we encounter God, but I want to encourage you Just like the wise men did, to interrupt your life, to have an expectation that we cannot seek Jesus 
without effort or without interruption. But part of what we do when we seek Jesus is we humble ourselves before him and we acknowledge him as a great and worthy prize. The second group of people I want to just encourage is those that have encountered Jesus, but there's areas in your life that you haven't surrendered to God. And you know very well what they are. I don't need to name them because even as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is encouraging you. And I want to say that Jesus said, everyone who loves his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find life in abundance and eternal life. And I want to encourage you to take hold of the promise of God that the thing that you're holding on, it is so valuable and so important to you. And actually, Jesus knows that. But at the core of that, the way that you are choosing to do it is actually unfulfilling in your life. And Jesus is inviting you to trust him by surrendering to him and allowing him to fulfill that dream, to fulfill that desire, to speak and to touch you. So if those are any of you in those categories, I want to encourage you that as we take communion, that this is your moment to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but I seek you. Why don't we take the, uh, the bread together? Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed. In the name of Jesus, we receive And let's take this cup. The blood that was shed. Jesus, we take it in faith. Remembering you. Thank you, God. Lord, all across this room. Lord, we declare... That corporately as a church, we are a church, we are in an environment that exalts you, that makes you high, that honors you, that seeks you, that surrenders to you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide and comfort and help every person who is choosing to follow you to navigate the different areas of their life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.